Warning, some things in our podcast may not be suitable for everyone. We talk about cults and murders, and due to the nature of our podcast, may use harsh language at times. Viewer's discretion is advised. And also, we can't pronounce anything. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of Cults and Crime. I'm Jamie. And I'm Nicole. Alright guys, I have a little reminder for you. We now have a Patreon page. That's right, everyone. It's up, running to go, and we are excited for you guys to see what we have. Hey, or you can go onto our Instagram page, and there's a link on our link tree. They'll take you right there. If you don't want to go onto our Instagram, you can go ahead and head over to Patreon slash Cults and Crime for all your extra Cults and Crime needs. <laughs> and with that out of the way, now what are we talking about this week, Nicole? All right, guys. So this is a case that's full of wild speculation. Tons of twists and really no resolution. This is the case of a little girl named Aisha Degree. So, all of this takes place in Shelby, North Carolina. Aisha was one of two children to Harold and Aquila. The weekend before Valentine's Day, both children, Aisha, who was nine, and her older brother, and her older brother Brian, who was ten, competed in their respective basketball games. O'Brien's team had won their game. But, Aisha's team suffered their first loss of the season. Aisha had really taken this hard. She had fouled during the game, and she was considered by everybody to be their star player. So, when they lost, she took it really hard. But also, even though they lost the game, they were still able to get little treats at the end, which had a whole bunch of candy in it. (laughs) And I'm just going to fast forward now, because, so by all accounts, she was devastated when they lost. But then she stayed, watched her brothers a game, and while she's munching on candy and watching her brother win, by all accounts, she was fine. So fast forwarding to the night before Valentine's Day, some odd things transpired. See, there was a car accident that had resulted in the power going out in the neighborhood. This had changed Aquila's schedule for her children. The normal schedule was Harold would leave for a second job which he wouldn't back home until around midnight. And Aquila would bathe both children before having them in bed, just before 8.30. Due to the power outage, they had to skip the baths and went straight to bed. Aquila's still keeping their schedule at 8.30 bedtime. It's also something to mention that there was a massive storm going on outside. The low was 34 degrees with rain and high winds. But even with this insane storm outside, when Harold returned home from work, everyone was fast asleep. He checked with O'Brien and Aisha around 12, 12.30, and they are both sleeping in their beds safely. And it wasn't super hard to monitor the children. See, Aisha and O'Brien both stayed in the same room on opposite sides in both twin little beds. Harold then sat down and watched a little TV before going to bed around 2.30. I did see some reports that he had just stopped at the house and then went back out to get more Valentine's Day presents, and it was also the anniversary for his wife the next day, but to me that doesn't make a lot of sense. What do you think, Jamie? I don't know, it makes sense. You know, you want to go home, maybe have a meal, change your clothes before you go out and go shopping. I've done it. Well, this is not the middle of the day. This is 1230 at night, Jamie. 
Yeah, but if you're getting off at that time, then that's when you got to get stuff done. Yeah, but since 1230 the night in the middle of a rainstorm, I don't know, to me, it just makes a lot more sense that instead of going home to go do your shopping and then go home, instead of stopping at your house and watching TV or changing, waking the family up, and then heading back outside to go grab the Valentine's Day presents and anniversary gift. I thought you said he didn't wake them up. I thought they were all sleeping. Well, if he's changing his clothes, he's going to have to go into his and Aquella's bedroom, I would imagine. Right? Which would wake her. Yeah, but this might just be a normal schedule for them. Like, he comes back before he has to do any chores he has to get done before heading out. Like, being there for the rest of the night. Like, I'm not saying it's the number... Like, it's it must have happened that way, but it's not unplausible. I don't know. To me, it's like, what stores open at 1230 a night? Not a lot. I guess it depends on the area in which they live in. Yeah, and it's a pretty small town. This is not, like, the big city. Yeah, but even my, even where I live, which is not really a big town, we have grocery stores that are 24-7. Yeah, but again, why would you stop at home? I don't know. Again, these reports are basically, like, I only saw it on, like, a couple gossip magazines, and it doesn't even really make sense to me, and there's no facts behind it. It's just something I felt like needed to be mentioned. Okay. So the storm had raged all night long, but eventually the power did get turned back on. And Aquila's alarm sounds off exactly at 5.45, which is about 15 to 30 minutes earlier than usual. But if you guys remember, both Aisha and O'Brien never got their baths. So Aquila woke up extra early to make sure the kids had time. Aquila got the baths ready, and then she headed to the children's room to wake them up before their alarm went off at 6.30 a.m. Aquila opens the kid's room and immediately notices something's wrong. Aquila sees O'Brien sleeping in his bed, but she doesn't see Aisha anywhere. Aquila searches the house, waking up her husband and telling him she can't find Aisha. After searching the house top to bottom, they started calling family members. See, Aisha's grandma and aunt both lived right down the street and they would often walk over there and stay there while her parents were at work. And they even had keys to the house. So she calls the aunt. She hasn't heard from Aisha. She calls the grandma, and she hasn't heard from Aisha either. This is when panic set in for Aquila. Aquila ends up calling her own mother and tells her that she cannot find Aisha. Her mom told her to hang up and immediately call the police. Well, yeah, go grandma. Yeah, the police arrived on scene by 6.40 a.m. And at this time, the degrees had... And when did she wake up again? So, Aquila woke up, or Aquila's alarm went off at 5.45 a.m. So, she went and drawed a bath, and then checked on the children. No, I mean, I'm just trying to want... But I am trying to connect the dots between like when she woke up and like when the call went, so it wasn't that long of a time. No, it wasn't. Yeah, because is... it was what maybe an hour the whole like the whole time thing like looking for her daughter, calling everyone she knew, panicking took maybe an hour tops. Yes, this before would... she called the police. Like that's not a lot of time. No, it's not. This is yeah, but it ended up being about an hour. At this time, the degrees had also knocked on several neighboring houses, asking if anybody had seen Asia. Those neighbors had woke up and began doing searches of their own. But they saw nothing. There wasn't a single trace of her. Police even brought in some search and rescue dogs, but they couldn't find a trace of her either. 
It's almost like she disappeared out of thin air. So I was wondering if it was due to the storm outside because I told you the heavy winds, freezing cold temperatures and rain. I um, did a little research on, you know, search and rescue dogs to see what would make things harder for them to find or make it easier. And it turns out that rainfall actually refreshes the scent as well as a super cold temperature keeping it fresh as well. The only thing that would have made it a little bit harder was the wind. But like I said, the search dogs came up with nothing. It's like almost like she disappeared out of thin air. The only two things The only two things they did find was a mitten, which I could have swears up and down is not Asia's. In fact, there was actually zero warm clothes, winter clothes missing from the house. But the dogs hit on the mitt? Like it was hers? No, they didn't hit on the mitt. Okay. After they didn't really uncover anything with the search, the police returned back to the house and started working on their timeline and getting a lot more information. They interviewed the entire family. They started with O'Brien, who was only a couple feet away from Asia. He had told police that he heard Asia get up in the middle of the night at some point, and he turned over to see what she was doing. And there she was in her long nightgown, but it looked like she had just gone to the bathroom and gone right back to bed. Or then again, he had heard some rustling later on that night, but he didn't turn over and continue to go to sleep. Both parents did not hear anything at all that night. They searched the house for signs of forced entry, but all the locks were locked and nothing was broken in. They searched for things missing from the house. None of the winter clothes was missing like I earlier stated. But they did notice that, oh my god, my foot. They searched the house for signs of forced entry, but all the locks were intact and there was no signs of forced entry whatsoever. Then they started looking for things missing around the house. None of the winter clothes were missing, which to me seems really odd, considering it's the middle of winter. But... One thing was, Aisha's backpack, along with her favorite clothes. Within hours, local news station had caught wind of her missing, and two motorists came forward. They said they saw Aisha walking down the road heading into town. One of the motorists that noticed her had even tried to make a U-turn to try and see if she needed some help. But when he pulled alongside her, she ran into the tree line. You can't really blame her, you know, she doesn't want to be picked up by a stranger. I would run too. Yeah, but then you have to wonder why is a nine-year-old walking down the street in the middle of the night when it's freezing cold outside? It doesn't seem like they're honestly think of any reason why that would ever be like an understandable thing. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and they said that by all accounts, the motorist claimed that she was by herself. Was she known to go on walks alone at night? Like, was that something her family let her do? Absolutely not. So Aisha Degree's family was pretty strict. Um, other than her, other than church and school, they didn't really have a ton of activities. They didn't have a computer in the house. So her walking in the middle of the night by herself is definitely something they would not have allowed. And also Aisha was, Aisha by accounts of her family was afraid of the dark, afraid of storms, and deathly afraid of dogs. They all claim that she would never leave the house in the middle of the night by herself. But then there's that motorist who said they saw her. You think maybe they saw another child? 
or maybe a grown woman that was small like a child? So I wondered that as well. Um, I looked up Aisha's height and she's only 4'6". When you're driving and you just see a smaller statued person, you know, we have good friends that are kind of on the shorter side where people often mistake them for children or young adults. So on February 15th, so that's the day after Aisha's disappearance, a local, business, a local business owner had walked into a shed where they kept all their store inventory and they noticed right away a pile of candy wrappers. Searching further into the shed, the owner found a pencil, a marker, and a Mickey Mouse shaped hair bow, which was later identified as Aisha's. That's really, that feels like a long way to go for someone who's not dressed properly just to get candy. Well, there is some speculation that Aisha had hidden that shed to try to wait out the storm when this evidence was brought to detectives. So this candy is the exact same candy that was given to her during the basketball game. Like the same type or the same batch? The same type. Along with a hair bow that her mother swears is Aisha's. The police decided to search the area. This search included over 9,000 people. They posted flyers everywhere, and they received over 300 tips. Some of which included abandoned houses and some wells where Aisha might be. But none of the clues penned out at all. And the case went completely cold for months. The family had done everything in their power to keep her story alive. They wanted the Monte Williams show, Oprah Winfrey, and America's Most Wanted. But... It was a dead end. That is, until March 3rd, months later. During construction project on Highway 18, which is about 26 miles away from Shelby, which is where Aisha went missing, they noticed something really odd. It was a plastic bag. Well, that doesn't sound too odd. You know, I can't count the number of times that I've driven down a road and seen plastic bags just flying along. Yeah, but this plastic bag was buried and had something inside of it. So, the construction worker opened up the bag and discovered yet a second black plastic bag. Once again, he opened the plastic bag to find a backpack inside. This particular backpack had something written on it. Aisha Degree, along with Aisha's phone number. This seems like a really big deal. This could be the break in the case that we need. You know, there could be all sorts of DNA evidence. Well, the problem was, the construction worker was not aware of the case. He is not a crime sleuth like us. And he just wasn't keeping up with Aisha at all. He had no idea what he'd found. Thankfully, his wife, a true crime sleuth, knew about Aisha's case. He had explained to her over breakfast what she had found, and she said immediately call the police. What was he going to do with it? Throw it away? Maybe, I have no idea, but thank goodness his wife was such a crime hound like us. (laughs) The backpack was turned over to the FBI, but they never announced the contents of the backpack or the forensic finding. This trail had gone cold as well. In 2015, which is 14 years later, after the disappearance of Asia, the FBI announced that they were re-examining the case and re-interviewing witnesses and announced a $25,000 award for any information that leads to a person of interest in the case. A community group then offered up an additional $20,000 to match. 
I'm sure they're getting all sorts of information, you know, good and bad. Yeah. 15 long months later, the FBI released some new information. The reinvestigation had turned up a new lead. They disclosed a witness had seen Asia getting into a dark green early 1970 Lincoln or possibly a Ford Thunderbird from the same era along Route 18. So she ran, so she completely ran away from one vehicle that tried to stop and get her in, but walked into another? Well, my speculation, and this is obviously wild, is that she had ran away to meet up with somebody. The real question's who? She was so sheltered. I have no idea who she's going to be meeting up with. And she was so young. Why would she meet up with someone? Like someone old enough to have a vehicle. That's insane. Well, she was really involved in the church and with her school. I'm wondering if some authority figure got a hold of her. I, it, this case is, it just makes no sense. Yeah, because there was no sign of forced entry, right? Zero. But, like I had stated, Aisha and O'Brien both had keys to their house. So she could have, you know, realistically walked right out the door, locking it behind her. It just, it's so weird to think that a, that a child would go to meet what is most likely an adult. Especially in the middle of the night. Yeah, and some people even said that that shed that I had mentioned earlier where they found several items belonging to Asia was a meeting place that she was supposed to meet somebody at, but again, she lived a pretty sheltered life. And well, to be fair, like anywhere is a long way to walk, you know what I mean? In well, the rain. For a nine-year-old girl in a 34 degree temperature? Yeah. Yeah, in the rain? Like that's a long way to walk. In any, like in a bad temperature? Like you won't catch me going out to the mailbox in the rain. <laughs> Agreed. Again, and Aisha was afraid of storms, she was afraid of the dark, and she was afraid of dogs. I So what could have tempted her out of her house at night during a storm? Exactly. On September 17th, the FBI announced its child abduction rapid development team was in Cleveland County. Their plan was to help provide on-ground investigation help. Several agencies involved meet up every couple weeks and they have conducted over 400 interviews themselves. In October 2018, the Cleveland Sheriff's Office detective appealed for information for the public about two items of interest in the case. The first, Mikolotis's pool of children's book by Dr. Seuss. This book was borrowed from the Fall Adam Middle School Library in the early 2000s and a New Kid on the Block t-shirt an investigator said these items were critical in solving the case. So I'm going to break this down a little bit because I'm sure you're wondering what does a new kids on the block shirt and a Dr. Seuss book have to do with this case at all? So the first clue, the library book. And during the interview, the investigator had said, if you or someone you know had this Dr. Seuss book around the time of Aisha's disappearance and lost track of it, call us. I thought they got it from the library. Yeah, it was originally picked up from the library, but that's all the information they give. They don't go into detail about why it's important, but I did read in an article, like, in the deep, deep web that Aisha was, like, obsessed with reading, like both of us, and she was currently reading a book about two runaways going on crazy adventures. So are they thinking that someone else 
took the book out of the library, gave it to Aisha. They are so tight-lipped about this. That's what I gather from, you know, what they said in the press conference. That's the most information I can guess from that. Well, I the only thing I can guess is maybe it was in her backpack. And then it wasn't found? So, Jimmy, what they had said was if someone had the book around the time of Aisha's disappearance and locked and lost track of it to call them. Mm-hmm. So, I'm thinking that it might have been in Aisha's backpack. And if that's the case then maybe they think that whoever had that Dr. Seuss book is involved in Aisha's disappearance. Yeah, like I said, do you think they think that someone maybe was giving her books to read as a way of getting closer to her? Possibly. And the, the problem is the, li- the library doesn't keep any records going back to Aisha's disappearance on anybody that picked up those books. So it really depends on us, viewers, and crime sleuths to figure it out. So... What the even weirder thing to me now is the second clue, the banty. So the police had been asking if anybody recognized the t-shirt to call police or if they knew anybody at the time that has that t-shirt or know, like if they know anybody that has a New Kids on the Block t-shirt. That's a lot of people. Right? Oh, and then the biggest shock of all. At the time of this announcement, the officials did say they were working on the assumption that Aisha's still alive. That's really good news, but I wonder what would lead them to think that. I know, right? It's what a odd two things to put together. It almost seems like the only thing that's going to help solve this case is a Dr. Seuss book and a New Kids on the Block t-shirt. Guys, that's the end of our episode this week. Asia is still out there. So if anyone grew up in the area and has information, please contact police and bring her home. So for next week, we're going to be covering a cult, which we're really, really excited about because, of course, I, Jamie, love cults. <laughs> All right, Jamie, what are you talking about next week? I'm going to be talking about the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments. This cult is based off the Ten Commandments but twist it to form their own interesting ideology. I'm really excited to talk about it, and I hope you guys are excited to hear about it. See you guys next week. See you next week, guys. And thank you so much for listening to us. I also just want to say one more quick thing. If you like us, go onto our Instagram, like and follow us. And also go onto Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. This is going to help us get more people to listen to our podcast. Yeah, giving us those reviews is really the best way to let other people know that they should listen to us too. So, we will see you next week. Production by Jamie. Production and editing by Nicole. Our intro music is Wrong by Dan Hennig. Our background music is In Albany, New York by the 129ers.